Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a special edition of The Decision Hour. I'm your host, Adam Bird. Thank you for being with us on this uh, fine, fine evening. Um, got a very special guest lined up for you guys today. And before we get into that, uh, got to give a big special shout out to uh, Heroes Media Group. Uh, Heroes Media Group is the network that we are on. Um, they got a lot of great sponsors. You can make sure you check them out at www.heroesmediagroup.com. They just landed a, uh, a deal with uh, Safe Street USA and ADT. Uh, so they have a brand new home protection program for uh, the Heroes, communi uh, Heroes community out there. Excuse me. And you can find all of that stuff again by going to heroesmediagroup.com. Uh, make sure you follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Uh, you are listening to the Decision Hour, and this is a, a show that's all about making that decision. You know, it's uh, a lot of the times we go through life and, and we kind of play with our toe in the water, and we never decide to actually make the decision to take that leap of faith or that jump. And you guys will never, never be able to know what you can do until you jump. You got to jump. And, um, the guests that I have lined up for us today, I've had the privilege of getting to know for about the last month. I've been following this guy for uh, for a while now, a couple a couple months, and he's doing a lot of great things. He's an Army vet himself. I, you know what? I'm just going to bring him on. Let's bring him on right now. Uh, Mr. Eddie Lazary. Eddie, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Awesome. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hey, thanks, Adam, for having me on. I appreciate hey, it. Hey, this is great stuff. Listen, uh... Man, there's so many things I want to ask you. You're doing so many great things for uh, for everyone. You're you're a you're a coach. You're you're a veteran. So, you know, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I joined the army right out of high school because I had nothing better to do, and well, let's just say I had very poor grades. And I got my uh, high school girlfriend pregnant, and we had a one year old son before I even finished high school. Oh, wow. And so. Yeah. So I had to quickly kind of grow up, I guess, and I didn't exactly know what I was going to do. Uh, and I didn't play any sports, so it's not like I had any any colleges knocking down my door or anything like that. So, um, you know, I got a call from the recruiter one day. I said, hey, did you ever think about joining the Army? I was like, nope. He's like, uh, well, would you consider it? I said, yep. And uh, and so that was it, man. I, I went right into basic training in AIT as soon as I graduated. And uh, my recruiter uh, told me I was going to be a firefighter. I was so excited. And then I got to AIT and I realized I was a fire support specialist, which is far from being a firefighter. Uh, it, it, <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, your recruiter lied? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Shock, shocked face, right? Yeah. So, but, you know, it worked out well because in the end, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, a fire support specialist is an actual, it's a FO or forward observer. Um, and that was a way cooler job than being a firefighter. So I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I did 10 years active duty. Uh, my first duty station was 4th Infantry Division. I did a stint in Korea for a year. Uh, Kurhi, up there, uh, first 506 right on the DMZ. Nice. And then I came back to Fort Hood, Texas and finished out my my time with the 1st Cavalry Division. And, of course, before I got out, um, I voluntarily extended so I can go with my guys over to Iraq, and I uh, supported Operation Iraqi Freedom 2 uh, from March 04 to March 05 with 1st BCT, and uh, we were on eastern side of Baghdad over by Sadr City. And wow. then uh, as soon as I got back from Iraq, about a month after that, I got out of the Army, moved to New Hampshire. I was never from here, but my, my folk, my dad and brother lived here, so I moved up here. Started my own landscaping business, which ultimately failed miserably. And I, I have a podcast episode that talks about that. It's one of my most popular ones because it's just it's a hilarious story. And um, yeah, it failed, and I and it failed because I didn't know anything about business. So I knew I needed some education. I knew I needed um, to get smarter. And um, so I did what I I did what I thought I could only do. At the time, being a combat arms MOS, I didn't think I had any marketable skills. So I became a corrections officer for a couple of years and put myself through night school and got my uh, bachelor's degree in business administration. And um, then I got picked up into my first corporate job with a defense contracting company. And it was there that I really started to understand civilian world and the corporate life. And I realized how much I didn't know. Even with a bachelor's degree, I continued to go. Uh, and I got my master's degree, 
uh, in business administration as well with a concentration in project management. And I started to um, kind of one-on-one coach, um, you know, guys that worked for me at the at these uh, corporate jobs and some veterans. And it took me 12 years being out of the army to really understand what it was that corporate world was looking for and that there's so many things that I actually had as marketable skills when I got out. I just didn't realize it. So that's kind of where Changer POV came into play is because I wanted, I was, co- I, you know, I was coaching some folks locally here, you know, friends, family and acquaintances and whatnot. And everyone kept saying, you know, you really need to find a way to, you know, talk about this on a, on a larger scale because it's really good information. It's very, very helpful. Um, and, and you need to find a way to get that message out. So I started a blog. I actually started changerpov.com as a blog. And I just didn't have the discipline, I guess, to commit to writing something once a week. I'm, I'm a very creative writer, but I've got to be in the mood. Mm-hmm. And uh, so finally somebody's kind of mentioned uh, podcasting. And uh, I was very new to podcasting, didn't understand what it was. Started to listen to some podcasts and said, wow. You know, these are actually pretty pretty cool. And uh, so, you know, a little bit of a learning curve to, you know, start your own. Not not bad, though. It's not as bad as I, you know, on the other side of it, it's not as bad as you think it is. Right. Nothing ever is. And um, started, started my podcast uh, back in November. And I've been sharing messages. You know, my three demographics are uh, pre-military. So those are thinking about joining, kind of getting a behind-the-curtain look into what military life is like. And then... The second demographic is those that are actively or currently serving, and that could be active duty, it could be reserve, National Guard, whatever, uh, of all branches. And then the third demographic, of course, is the you know the veterans, those that have already made that move out of the military, and are still seeking ways and guidance and knowledge on how to navigate this crazy civilian world. And uh, and it's been a journey, and it continues to be a journey, and uh, finding new ways to get engaged and help people and. You know, and networking with folks like you and, you know, the boys over there at Scars and Sea Stories and, you know, just it, we're all one big family. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Love those guys, too. Hey, listen, folks, you listen to the Decision Hour, which means you're already on the Internet right now. Open up another browser. I want you to check this out. Changeyourpov.com. Open it up. Go over. Like it. Check Eddie out. He's got a lot of great stuff up here. And, and uh, if you haven't listened to his podcast, well... We're telling you to do so now. It's easy to get to. Um, he's got a lot of great, great interviews uh, on his show. And, that's, again, that website is changeyourpov.com. Uh, subscribe to him on uh, iTunes, uh, Android. Um, like him on Facebook. Uh, we'll also have this stuff up on our social media stuff uh, later on uh, this week as well, folks. So if, uh, if you're listening to this and, and, and you're driving or whatever, pay attention to the road. Come back. And uh, you'll be able to, to find this stuff on our social media sites. We're going to put this up, but it's changeyourpov.com. Um, Eddie, tell me a little bit about how you, I mean, you were talking a little bit about how you started coaching and, and, and uh, when you got into, you know, what I like to, you know, the corporate America side of the things. Can you talk a little bit more about the transition? What was transitioning like when you got out? I mean, I know what it was like when, when I got out nine years ago. And, and I'm seeing what the military is, is attempting to do for, for those that are transitioning out of the military. So can you talk a little bit about how you transitioned out, what that was like, and what your thoughts are on the transition process now? Yeah, sure. So, you know, so this is kind of, it's kind of weird, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of relate it or tie it to a story. So everybody, I'm sure, is familiar with the movie Men in Black, right? Yeah. And, and so Will Smith that plays that character, he was a cop, right? And and not he wasn't just a cop; he was like a badass cop. Like he was a good cop, right? Love it. Um, I mean, he he you know he he knew his job very well. He was very aggressive, and so that was me. I, I kind of I kind of envisioned myself as the as the Will Smith, right? And when I was in the army, so um, I, you know, not to you know not to uh, blow blow my own horn, so to speak, but I was really good at my job. Okay, I was. I, I knew my job, you know, I was a senior squad leader, you know, I trained my guys, had NCOs underneath me, like, you know, I, we did the proficiency tests and I was just really, really good. I was fast track, got promoted really quickly. Um, 
And so I was, I, you know, it was one of those things where everything I did, I put my mind to it. You know, I succeeded. I, you know, I won Soldier of the Month boards. I won NCO of the Month boards, NCO of the Quarter, NCO of the Year. You know, my guys did as well. Um, and then, you know, so I was just used to succeeding and used to being, you know, good at what I did, just like Will Smith in the movie. And then, then I got out of the, uh, when I got out of the Army, just like when Will Smith was finally introduced to the fact that he's been kind of living in this world with blinders on, right? He was he was living and operating in a world that he thought was reality until he was finally it was finally revealed to him that that there was actually aliens in the world, right? And, and then he realized he wasn't as good as he might have thought he was because he um he struggled and he didn't have all the right answers and he didn't know how to do all the right things. Uh and so he was kind of very taken back by it. And that was kind of the same feeling I had when I first got out. I was you know, faced with the fact that, oh my God, there's actually aliens out here in this real world we call civilian life. And I didn't know what to do or how, how to, how to do anything. I mean, I got out of the army. I didn't even know what a 401k was. Um, I didn't know anything about getting my own health insurance. I didn't know anything about owning my own business or running it for sure. Um, so there was all these things. And of course I got a wife and kids that are all looking to me as the provider of the, of the family and I felt like I was letting them down. I was letting myself down. I was so damn frustrated. But see, the neat thing about Men in Black is, as good as Will Smith was, he didn't have to navigate that alien world by himself, right? He was given essentially a mentor, right? Tommy Lee Jones that plays that movie. Right. Um, he was given all the tools. He was given a fancy suit and all of the guns and, and, and the training. And he was given everything to be successful in this alien world. And, and he... You know, ultimately became very successful. But those of us that get out of the military, we're not we're not given a Tommy Lee Jones to help us navigate those 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 things in our life that we don't know how to do. We're not given that fancy suit and a fancy gun and all these fancy tools to help us be successful. And so that's when I finally I'll get I'll I'll back up in a minute. When I'll get into my transition out. Um, but before I do, I just want to kind of complete this thought, and that is, um, and that's really kind of. I finally figured out how to navigate this this world that I now live in. And so I look back, and that's what changed your POV. And what I try to do is I try to be the Tommy Lee Jones for those that are getting out, the, the Will Smiths, the high-speed, low-drag guys that are, and gals that are getting out of the military. And they, you know, they want to hit the ground running, and they realize, oh, my God, I, you know, this isn't what I thought. I had no idea. Because at the end of the day, the military has, you know, the military does a really good job in its core mission, right? Right. Now let's look at let's look at this. The military's core mission is to what? It's to, it's to equip, train, and deploy forces for war, right? That's its mission. Right. Nowhere in that mission statement does it say anything about and also P.S. successfully transition these individuals out of the military, you know, to to have everything they need to be successful you know, civilians on the outside. That's not part of their mission. Um, and so a lot of people think that they leave it up to the military to kind of be that that gap fill, if you will, uh, into that, tr that transition into the, into the civilian world to be successful. And the fact is, um, that's just not the case. Now, when I got out in 2005, they didn't even have TAPS classes. I, I heard about TAPS classes from folks that were, that were getting out after me um, yeah, there was, you know, there was some like post or there was some like checklist thing or whatever. I can't even remember what it was, but it was really just a check the box. You know, yeah, when you go to the stations, get signed. Yeah, off. exactly. Yeah. 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 The round robin. You just all yeah. you're worried about is getting signatures. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> Next. Here you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. I actually spent more time at CIF trying to clear CIF <laughs> than I than I did at any of these transition center uh, briefings. Seriously. And and so transition for me. Um, it wasn't something I thought about when I was in. Um, I didn't have anybody, when I mean by that, I didn't have any, you know, platoon sergeant or first sergeant or anybody, you know, asking me, hey, you know, your ETS in here in about eight, nine, 10, 12 months. Um, what are you, what's your plans? Where are you going? What are you doing? And you know what? Me, I'm, I'm starting to think now I'm talking to active, active uh, duty service members. And, and I really think those, those should be some questions that NCOs are really starting to ask their folks. I really do. Um, granted, their number one mission is to to train and, and employ and equip, you know, their their folks for war. However, 
full development of an individual within the military should go uh, post-military too. Yeah. I mean, obviously the onus is still on the individual that's getting out. Right. But I really think that NCOs and officers should really start asking some of those um, tough questions of their guys and gals. No, that, that, that you 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 bring up a great point. You know, I I do. I, there's probably at least half a dozen times a week where you hear something from somebody that's getting ready to transition out, and they're like, "I was not prepared. They didn't tell me this. They didn't tell me that." And it, it does fall back on the on the on the individual getting ready to transition, but a lot of it does. You, you I mean, you have to put it back on the military too. Listen, you you train us to go to war and, and for our job and, and and whatnot. Great. But what happens when it's time when your time is done? When it's time to hang the boots up, go back into the civilian sector, what are you gonna do? It's kinda like going back I I, I relate it to like going back to basic training all over again. Mm-hmm. Because you're a completely different person when you come out of the military than what you did when you first went in. When you went into the military, you were a different person. You were wet behind the ears. You didn't know your you know, ass from a hole in the ground, you, you, you just, you know, and then you get out and you just like, yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I accomplished this, I got to see the world, and now I have to go back into something that I, it, I'm unfamiliar with. It's a whole nother, you have to go back into training, is what I like to call it, and I think it's great what you're doing because you're, you're helping people that are getting ready to make that transition, uh, start realizing, hey, you start doing this. And let me ask you this, because you mentioned this very briefly. When when somebody's got an ETS date of, of like, uh, you know, the, I, let's use me for an example. Let's say hypothetically, I'm still in the military. I'm getting ready. I know my ETS date is November of, or, or January of next year, of 2017. Should I be looking for a job now? So, so you should really back up, right? I mean, you need every good aircraft needs a runway, right? right. So you, you need a runway in order to prepare yourself. And 12 months minimum is what I recommend for anyone that is. Now, I'm not saying that if you're listening to this right now and it's the first time you're considering thinking about preparing to get out and you've only got three months left, you know, any, any time is a good time to start. Um, don't, don't do what I did and start the, the, the day you After get you your get DD two fourteen, yeah. right? <laughs> um, uh, that's that's a bad time to start. Um, so you know as much runway as possible, but twelve months out. Now your your question directly is: Should I start looking for a job twelve months out? Now that's kind of unrealistic because jobs aren't you know typically jobs aren't going to remain open for that long, right? Um, but you can at least there's a lot of things you can do ahead of time. Uh, one of the biggest things is networking, right? Um, so many guys I talk to that are still in, I ask them, you know, um, how their LinkedIn profile looks. You know, have you created a profile? Have you started to fill it out? And, and the very common response I get is, I, I don't need a LinkedIn profile. I'm in the military, and you know, it, it, I don't, I don't yeah. need that because you know, I know everybody in the military, and you know, that's for like corporate. Yeah, it is. It's really, I guess, I'm not going to say LinkedIn's not for for guys in the military. LinkedIn is for, you know, it's a it's a professional networking platform. Yeah. Um, but it, but it takes time to build a network, yeah. right? Yep. And it takes time to get to know people. So I would recommend uh, start your network. Uh, people say, oh, I got Facebook. Yeah, you can. I guess you can network on Facebook and make connections as well. But in, from from a job hunting, uh, recruitment, um, hiring manager, that type of uh, mindset. Uh, LinkedIn is, is a far better place to start than, oh, than Facebook. It's awesome. And uh, another thing that I recommend doing um, is, and I Bennett and I talk about this in an episode that's coming out tomorrow, as a matter of fact, on Change Your POV, is, you know, go to a job fair. So I was at Fort Hood, Texas, and they had a lot of like different types of job fairs in and around the area. But I knew that I wasn't staying in Texas when I got out. So I didn't even think about going to the job fairs. I'm like, why would I go to a job fair in, you know, Killeen, Texas, when I know when I get out, I'm moving, say, to New Hampshire, right? doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but what, when, what people kind of fail to realize is, you know, think of it as a dress rehearsal, right? It gives you an opportunity to um, present your resume to real, you know, people that are looking to hire. It gives you an opportunity to try on that suit that you should probably have before you get out. It gives you an opportunity to the flesh and go shake some hands and and you know what when you go to these job fairs you're going to be asked questions about you know what do you do what are your experiences 
And and even though you're not necessarily looking for a job there in Colleen, Texas, um, if you just bring a notebook with you and you just write down some of the questions you're being asked by these folks, it's only going to prepare you for when you finally do get out and you do move to New Hampshire, for example, and you do attend job fairs here in New Hampshire, um, you're already going to have a leg up. You're already going to have that dress rehearsal, so to speak, and you're going to know um, kind of how it is, what to expect, um, and you're going to be far more successful when you do it for real. You know, let me add to that if I can. Um, by going to a job fair, like let's say like in your in your example that you're using in Clean Texas and, and you're moving to New Hampshire, you don't know who's going to be at that job fair in, in Clean Texas. That per, you might meet somebody there that knows somebody that's looking for somebody up in in the New England area or in, in New Hampshire or whatnot. It, I mean, it's always it's always good to, to to go. So I think that's great advice. No, absolutely. I mean, not not just know somebody, but it could be the there could be a company in Clean Texas that also has um, a sister company in New Hampshire. Right. And they could say, oh wow, I I'll get in touch with my folks, you know, in my company in New Hampshire, and we can hook you up. Absolutely, good advice. Yeah. And, and and on the LinkedIn, I'm I'm a LinkedIn guru. I I love going on LinkedIn and connecting with people uh, on there. And you would be surprised of, of how many doors have opened uh, for me on a personal level just by using LinkedIn. Never met these per- people face to face, but the fact that I've I'm linked in with them on LinkedIn, I've talked to them you know several times via email. Uh, several doors of opportunity have, have, have opened up that way. So I strongly encourage you guys that are listening, if you do not have a LinkedIn profile, open up another browser. While you're listening to us right now, start filling one out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that I help with. I help folks with too is is to help build out their, their LinkedIn profiles. Um, because one thing that I didn't know when I was in that I understand um, pretty well now, and that's SEO or search engine optimization. And, you know, for, for the listeners out there, you don't have to necessarily know what that is, but, but understand this, that um, by filling out your profile and having certain keywords within in, and throughout your, uh, your LinkedIn profile, what it does is it, it provides context for hiring managers and recruiters to do searches within LinkedIn and actually find potential candidates to fill positions. So the more filled out your, uh, your profile is with you know, keywords that you're targeting, the better chance you have of, of being approached by hiring managers and recruiters for potential opportunities you wouldn't otherwise have if you didn't have that profile. Awesome. So, Eddie, have you been... You, you, when you started Change Your POV, is this something that you do on a full-time basis? Is this this your thing that you do 24-7? No, I wish. Um, I, st- I still currently have a 9-to-5 job uh, that pays the bills. It's not one that I'm extremely passionate about. Ultimately, my goal, though, is to um, turn this into something that, that – um, is able to pay enough to be able to quit my full-time job and do this full-time because one, I'm passionate about it. And two, um, I would just much rather be spending my eight hours a week or more or whatever on, on something like this than, than, uh, the corporate job that I'm currently in. However, um, my recommendation is anyone, cause I, I, like I said, I started my own business when I first got out of the army um, and it's, you know, starting your own business is tough, period. Um, but it's really, really tough when it's your sole source of income and providing for your family <laughs> yeah. because it, it forces you to have to make decisions that you probably wouldn't otherwise make if you had other options. So if you are interested in entrepreneurship and starting your own business when you get out, I highly recommend at least getting – uh, a job somewhere and pursuing your interests kind of on the side like I'm doing and then gradually building that business up and out uh, and to the point where you can finally kind of call it quits on the nine to fiver and do your passion full time. That's my recommendation. When uh, when did you take that that leap of faith when you decided that you were going to to create your own business? You said you uh, did it as you were getting out of the military, but did, do you remember that specific moment when you when you decided, hey, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm going for this. I'll, I'll do the nine to five until this gets up and running. I mean, I mean, and that's what this show is about. It's it's about make uh, making decisions. That's why we call it the decision hour. Um, you obviously made that decision to do this. You're pursuing something that you that you believe in and that you want to do. Do you remember that that moment when you made that decision? 
Well, so I was, uh, let me back up. So I, I, my intent was to make a career out of the army. I wanted to do at least 20 and retire. Um, I was in Baghdad, Iraq. Um, and I was called into Sergeant Major's office and he said, um, you have to make a decision. You either have to re-enlist right now or you have to make the decision to get out. And for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, in an enlistment that puts you over 10 years, you're no longer enlisting for years. You're enlisting for what's called per needs of the Army. So basically I had to make a commitment right then and there to enlist essentially indefinite per needs of the Army. Um, and the only way I could get out after that would be to submit a retirement package and, and have it approved or make the decision to get out. And so um, we had a very, very rough um, deployment. It was my first and only deployment. And, you know, I lost my first guy in my squad a couple weeks in country. Um, it, it was just, it, it was a tough, tough time. And so I had to call home and basically tell my wife, um, oh, by the way, I have to go back and, and tell the Sergeant Major whether or not I'm re-enlisting indefinite or or I'm getting out. And I asked her, I said, what do you want? Because it wasn't a decision I wanted to make by myself. Right. Um, and she says, you know what? I love you. I will support whatever decision you make, but I don't know if I can do this again. Because we knew that we were probably looking at back-to-back deployments. Right. And and so at that point, it, it was a no-brainer. I had two young kids at home. Um, and so I made the decision then to get out. So basically, I was now scrambling in the middle of, of Baghdad, trying to run missions, run a squad, run mission, uh, you know, do what we had to do outside the wire and try to figure out how I'm going to now do what I have to do to prepare myself to be successful once I got out. Cause I knew as soon as I redeployed, I was out. Um, and so my whole mentality switched. I went from thinking I was going to stay in for, forever to now I've got right. a month after I get back to get to, you know, and when I get out. And so what am I going to do? Right. So, so I got a hold of my dad who lived in New Hampshire and, and he agreed to help me start my own landscaping business. So he kind of helped me make that decision. So when I got out, that's kind of what I did. I moved up here, um, and I started my own landscaping business and, you know, I could do the the actual physical labor part of the job, right? The the paver walkways, the cutting grass, the retaining walls. I did all of that irrigation. That was that was the easy part. But you know, to do, I didn't know anything about the business. I didn't know about workers' compensation. I didn't know about you know insurance and uh, RFP or request for proposals. I didn't know about contracts. I didn't know about estimates. I didn't know how to estimate, right? So all the business acumen that it takes to actually run a business, right. <laughs> I, I, had, I had no idea how to do. Um, and because of it, I, I, I suffered and I failed and, and um, my, my company ultimately folded. Uh, so then I qu- had to quickly make a decision to do something uh, in order to, to put food on the table, basically. And the only thing that I knew I could do that I had in terms of skill set um, was law enforcement. That's what a lot of people kind of, that's their fallback go-to plan, right? Right. Uh, is law enforcement when they get out. And so I applied to the state troopers and to the corrections office, uh, corrections officer position at the same time. And I said, you know what, whichever, whichever one I can get land a job with first, that's what I'll do. And uh, I was actually offered a position at the state troopers office first, but they said, all right, you're, you're golden. All you have to do is sign this paper. And I was like, what's that? They said, well, you have to agree to move anywhere in New Hampshire. I'm like, oh, man, not happening. <laughs> so so uh, I don't know for those of you who aren't familiar with New Hampshire, there's a, there's a big need for state troopers up north, and there is nothing up north. Let's just put it that way. And uh, I just moved into this house, and I was just done moving. You know, After 10 years in the Army and moving, 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 I was like, I'm done moving. So I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't sign that. And he's like, all right, well, if you change your mind, come back. And that kind of left me with, one other option that was corrections officer. So that's what I did for a couple of years. And my whole intent there, my decision uh, with working there was just to put myself through night school. And that's what I did. And then my decision to do change your POV, where that kind of came about was uh, I was kind of kicking around the idea of doing some. I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what or how. Right. Um, and like I said, what I kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the cast is, you know, I was really good at everything I did in the army. And a lot of it was because I've got a slight OCD and I'm kind of a perfectionist. And you can ask any of my guys that, 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 uh, that worked for me could tell you I was an extreme ass about it. Um, and so I, I, (laughs) I struggle with this. I, I don't want to do anything unless I can do it perfectly. Right. Right. 
And what what's what's tough about owning your own business or starting any venture out on your own, um, you're not going to be perfect at it. So a lot of people, including myself, refrain from you know pulling that trigger because they're afraid that you know what if it can't be perfect, I don't want to do it. Right. I was that same way in in high school. If I didn't complete my homework, I didn't turn it in. Right. Even if I you know I completed 95% of it, if I didn't complete it 100%, I just didn't turn it in. And my teachers are like, you realize that you could just turn in partial work and still get partial credit, but that wasn't that wasn't my in my you know my mindset, and I carried that all the way through. And so finally, somebody told me they said, you know what, I understand where you're coming from, and I can appreciate it. However, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And that took me a minute to kind of think about, and I realized, you know what. You're right, because if you wait until something's absolutely perfect before you pull the trigger, you're never going to pull the exactly. trigger. I mean, let, let's ask ask yourself this question. Were you ready to be a father when you finally found out you were going to be a father? No. I, was, no. I wasn't. Uh, are you ready to be married the second you bend that knee and ask somebody to marry you? Nope. I mean, so all these big things, the things that are most rewarding in our lives are always things we're just never ready for. We just do anyway, right? Right. right. And, and so starting your own business or doing something that kind of pushes that envelope or gets you out of your comfort zone, uh, this is what I've learned. If, if, it, if it scares you a little bit and it makes you nervous and makes your palms sweaty, then it's worth doing, right? If you're comfortable and if it's easy <laughs> it. and Love it's it. not challenging, then you know what? It's probably not going to be as rewarding either. I love it. That's great advice. Eddie, I want to ask you a couple more questions here. Success. A lot of people have a different definition of what success really means to, to them. What is, what's your definition of, of success? Yeah, this is easy. So it's by far has nothing to do monetarily, right? Success for me is doing something that you love doing while providing value to someone else. So many times people can do something that they love doing, but it, it's, it's self-fulfilling. It's good for them. It makes them feel good. Um, but it doesn't really benefit anyone you know, around them or in their lives. Um, and to me, that, that, might, that might be a form of personal success, but I'm talking total success is doing something you love whilst still providing value to those around you. And so to me, that's what Change Your POV is. I feel that I'm successful um, with this venture because it's doing something that I really love to do. I love to talk. I love to teach. I love to mentor. I love to coach. I love to help veterans. And, and, and it, it's kind of the culmination of all of those things. I love to meet new people. I love to network. Um, and you know, it, it opens up opportunities, you know, through this just short period of time, I've had an opportunity to meet some, ex just some amazing people. I've had an opportunity to help, um, some amazing people, and I've had some amazing people reach reach out their hand and and help me out, um, and it's just a it's it's reciprocal. And I think if you go through life and you just try to figure out what you can do that that really kind of makes you smile inside and helps other people out, you're being successful. Well, that's very well put. I you know and, and through that, not once did I hear you bring up money at, at all. And, and for me personally, I think that that's great because I think a lot of people get caught up in, in the, you know, making money and, and doing this and doing that or, or, you know, well, that person's successful because they have, you know, a million dollars or, or whatever. And the reason why I bring this up, folks, is because this is something that, that, that I've, I've taught and, and have brought up on, on several other shows in the past. Success has nothing to do with money. It doesn't matter how much money you make and, and, and rewind everything with what Eddie just said it to the T bringing you know doing something that you love and and doing stuff for others and, and that benefits others you know I have a, a friend of mine one of my business partners he he came up with a phrase called uh, uh, purpose with a profit he said if you always if you focus if people get into business and they focus on the on the profit before the the purpose of it, they're not going to be successful. You might have a, a, a few people here and there, a couple, a couple companies here and there might get, excuse me, might get lucky, but you always, always win. Everybody wins if you put the purpose first. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's great. And I, I think that's great. Um, Eddie, 
I had people that influenced me, uh, you know, growing up. You know, my my father is, is a, uh, my stepdad is, is a huge influence on me. I go to him for a, a lot of different things. He's he's one of the smartest men I know, um, and uh, you know, motivational stuff. But you know, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, uh, just to name a few. Uh, there's a lot of military guys out there. Uh, you know, I love to read quotes, motivational quotes. You know, kind of things that get get you going. Um, has there been any anybody or any buddies that have influenced you on your journey? Oh boy, you know, there's been several. I can't really say there's been any one one you know significant person in my life. Um, there's been there's been many along the way. Um, you know, I when I was younger, I, I I took taekwondo classes, and of course, that was really my first, you know, lessons about honor and respect and courage, and and uh, I've had several senseis through throughout that that course, and and you know, I looked up to them, and they really kind of you know pointed the way for me, and kind of helped guide and shape me as a young as a young man. Um, you know, I've had teachers in high school, particularly I think of one guy in particular who was my uh, art art teacher. And I really loved art, but I just didn't have a lot of confidence. And he just helped bring out that self-confidence in me. And, and um, he just kind of helped me believe in myself and let me know that, that, that you know, I can do whatever I put my mind to. Um, and then, you know, when I joined the military and I've had, you know, several really, really outstanding NCOs that saw things in me that I couldn't see in myself. And, you know, it's just those small little touch points along the way by, by multiple people um, and even from people that I don't even know, like here's an example. I was a young E5, um, and you know, you know how all young E5s are, right? We're <laughs> we're shit hot. We're you know, you know, we've got to we got to prove our yeah, got know, our man, whatever, on, baby. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was it was after it was after COB formation one night, and um, I remember exactly where it was. We're at Fort Hood. And I don't remember who the who the Joe was, but he had done something. I don't even remember what it was he did. It was probably something stupid little, but but um, I just started to smoke the shit out of him, right? And just you know, and he's over there, he's in the grass, and he's doing push-ups and push-ups, and I'm just standing over the top of him, screaming at him like like I knew what I was doing, right? And like I was some drill sergeant or some shit. I don't even know. And I was just completely like looking back at it now. I'm kind of actually embarrassed just to even say this. Uh, because that, I mean, that's what, that's what happened. And, um, this, the Sergeant major and I don't even, it wasn't even my Sergeant major. It was some other battalion Sergeant major. He kind of, um, he walks up to me, but, but, uh, far enough away where the, the Joe that was doing pushups really couldn't see him or hear him. And he just kind of got my attention. He gave me that finger, like, come here. Yeah. And I, and I was like, as soon as he did, I was like, Oh, it hit, kind of hit me. I'm like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't be smoking this guy this hard, right? And and Joe like kind of glanced over and saw Sergeant Major calling me over. And of course, Joe thinks, ah, Sergeant Major's gonna you know get that ass, yes, and, you know, right? <laughs> and so Joe started to get up, and Sergeant Major's like, what the hell are you doing? Get your ass back down there, and keep knocking him out. And so <laughs> Joe immediately jumps back down there, and starts knocking him out, and Sergeant Major pulls me far, far, far away from Joe. And he kind of puts his arm around my shoulder and he says, um, Sergeant, he says, um, I understand what you're doing. You're doing some corrective training. I don't even know what he did. I'm like, Roger, Sergeant Major. And, uh, of course, you know, I locked up a parade rest. He told me IDs and all that. And he says, um, he goes, well, let me ask you a question. He says, um, um, are you trying to punish him or teach him a lesson? And I was like, I, it took me a second to kind of understand what he meant. And uh, he goes, it looks to me like you're punishing him, but once he gets up and he walks away, is he going to remember not to do whatever it was that he did? Or are you more interested in teaching a lesson so he'll get up and walk away and never do what he did? And I'm like, I'm interested in teaching him a lesson. He goes, then maybe you should consider, consider a different way to get your message across. And that's all he said. Oh, wow. And I was like, um, Roger, sorry, Major. And... He goes, uh, he says, um, do, do not walk back over there and tell him to get up right away because then he'll think that I told you to. I want you to smoke him for another 20 minutes after I leave, and then whatever you do is whatever you do. So Another so 20 did, minutes. <laughs> another 20 minutes, yeah. So as soon as – and, and sorry, he knew. He knew he knew exactly what Joe was thinking because as soon as Sergeant Major walked away and I walked over to Joe, 
Joe started to get back up again, and I told him to get his ass back down, and he couldn't believe it because he thought for sure, <laughs> he thought for sure that Sergeant Major just chewed my ass, and you know what I mean. <laughs> and so that to me, that was that was pure unadulterated leadership. I have no idea who that guy was, but damn, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was talking about, and he, you know what? You know who learned the biggest lesson that day? It wasn't Joe. It was me. Yeah. That's a great story. That's a great story. I love it. <laughs> oh, Eddie. Folks, if you're enjoying this, open up another browser. Check Eddie out. Changeyourpov.com. Go to changeyourpov.com. Follow him. He's a great guy. He's got a lot of great information. You know what? Speaking of information, you got something new that's going to be coming out. Let's talk about it. Yes. I I saw this video uh, of you, of this this, uh, dashing young man, uh, (laughs) and uh, it's a a seven-day resume. Yep. What what is the seven-day resume? All right, so seven-day resume. So one of the things that I found that veterans – well, say active duty, currently serving, and then, of course, the veterans, when they get out, uh, what they struggle with big time is writing the resume. And, and this isn't just for veterans or people that were in the military. Anyone that struggles with writing the resume can benefit, benefit from this. And, and I know if you watch the video, if you go to 7dayresume.com and you watch my little video, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing you're going to see is um, I'm a novice at green screening. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the first thing you're going to pick up. But but if you can look past that and listen to the message, um, what I've what I show you in that in that video is the fact that so many people struggle with this, right? To the tune of like 480 million search results for the word resume on Google, um, which is you know over well over a million. Um, I think it's 150 million search results um, above and beyond the total population of the United States. It's amazing. Um, and because everybody does the same thing when they try to write the resume, they just go and Google it right. and they just grab, you know, snippets of this First resume or that resume they and they try yeah. to, yeah. Right. And, and that's exactly what I did too. And it wasn't until after, you know, 12 years out of the army, um, several corporate jobs, I worked my way up into, into management. I reviewed thousands of resumes. I interviewed hundreds of people. Um, I got my MBA, got started to really understand how business worked and operated. And it was through ex, it was through real world experience in doing it that I finally kind of realized what it was that you know hiring managers and uh, recruiters look for. And I'm like, and so I found myself kind of um, I had one on one mentoring sessions with some of the guys that worked for me when I worked at these other corporate jobs, and that was one of the things that I used to coach them through was was their resume. And I, I did the same thing with some veterans uh, to a little bit different degree because I helped them also convert military experience into corporate language. Um, but um, the premise of the seven-day resume is I wanted to share with the world um, basically what it make, what it takes to make an effective resume. And so what it is is – and the reason why it's, it's available uh, June 1st of 2016. So if you're listening to this after June 1st, it's available right now. But if you're listening to this podcast real life – then it's not available to June first, and the reason for that is because I'm still creating it. <laughs> it's I know I've got I know what I'm gonna write. I j- it's a matter of actually you know recording the videos and and doing the actual you know uh, the the producing of it on the back end. Right. So I'm working on it you know nights and weekends and getting it all done. And so every once you once you opt in, you can actually opt in now. You just won't start getting the training lessons until June first. Um, but every day for seven days, you're going to get a new lesson from me. Uh, day one, we're going to talk about understanding the resume and what it's really for. It kind of sets the foundation of the resume, where it comes from, what it's used for. Day two, we're going to talk about the format of the resume. Uh, day three, we talk about elements of the resume. Um, and day four, we dedicate a full lesson on resume bullet statements. Day five, we talk about resume topography. That's an important element. Day six, we talk about what are they looking for. They mean, meaning the uh, recruiters and or hiring managers. And day seven, we talk about you know the submission process and following up with the resume. So with those seven days, you're basically going to be able to take you know from from nothing from scratch and build an effective recruiter ready resume in seven days, and it's all free. All of it. And 
All of it. All of it's free. And you're going to get not only the less the videos, but every day that you're going to get the, the, now the reason why it's taken me a while to, to uh, put this together is because I'm not only doing the videos, but I'm also transcribing the videos. So oh, you're going to get a, a PDF transcription of each lesson that's also going to be delivered each day. And then I also have um, some days will require uh, um, like a worksheet, um, some swipe files, some additional downloadable um, information that I'm also going to be uh, providing to you as well. And again, that's all free. Um, and then at the end, when it's all said and done, I'm going to take all seven lessons and I'm going to aggregate it into one convenient downloadable um, ebook. And I think I may monetize that just a little bit, mm -hmm. just just to start my start me on the path of being able to to do change your POV, um, you know, full time someday. Hopefully, let me ask you something, Eddie. What is the um What's the number one, if you could pick one thing, what's the number one thing, uh, mistake that you see or, or your uh, mistake or pet peeve that you see that people do on their resumes? Oh, man. Oh, do I, is, can I only, is yeah, it only just, one? Just one. Yeah, right. Oh, man. <laughs> um, there's so many. Um, I, think, I think the number one thing that is the biggest problem that I see with resumes is everyone just uses it as a list of I dids. Yeah. Right? I did this, I did this, I did this. I know Excel, I know PowerPoint, I know uh, Microsoft Access, I know, um, you know, whatever, right? You fill in the blank. I know, I know, I know. What the resume doesn't do oftentimes is it doesn't describe how well you did any of those things. And that's the element, I think the biggest element that's missing from resumes that, that you're never taught. You're not taught this in college. You're not taught this nowhere. Um, and, and the reason why you're not taught this is because there's too much money to be made for the online resume creation companies right, out right, there. Right. They, they, they have the market on it. They don't want that information to get out. But even then, I've spent a couple hundred dollars to have somebody write my resume because I didn't know what I was doing way back in the day. And the result was essentially a canned resume that didn't sound much better than what I was able to create myself. So um, at the end of the day, you want your resume to not only um, communicate your responsibilities that you had with each of your you know, roles and responsibilities, your jobs, essentially, but how well did you perform against that standard, right? Uh, and it's nothing, it's no different than uh, a performance evaluation is today. You've got a set of goals, right? You sit down with your boss, you have a set of goals. And you're evaluated on your ability um, or how well you performed against those goals or objectives, right? That's how you're graded. Right. Um, and if you look at the resume as essentially a performance evaluation rather than a list of I dids, then you are far, far, far ahead of your contemporaries in the space of resumes. And you're going to set yourself above, well above uh, any other candidate. All right, now for sure. I'm going to see if I can get to get an answer out, out of you for this one. <clears throat> I, I, I've been in you know corporate America, as you know myself, uh, on and off, and in several management positions. And I, and I, I remember going over the hundreds and hundreds of, of, of resumes. Is it? Uh, and I've always, you know, depending on who, at the time where I was working and who I was working with, some people prefer a one-page resume. Others prefer you know whatever it takes did you have a preference on mm. not only do i have a preference but there is a preference overall industry standard if you talk to if you were talk to a hundred recruiters a hundred uh hiring managers you're going to get the same answer and that is hands down one page resume yeah. is the way to go perfect and a lot of people and a lot of people don't understand why and and it's funny you bring that up because in lesson 2 I just recorded lesson 2 so it's fresh on my mind uh, well, in lesson 2 I actually talk about this and I give an analogy and and I've I've done I've done well with my story so far this podcast so I figure I'll, I'll throw another story in there for you good so so think of think of all right so imagine you're in a grocery store right you, you have a party to get to. Uh, you've got friends coming over. You thought you bought everything you, you needed ahead of time, but you forgot the, the wine and some you know French bread and something else. So you're rushing home after work, and you run into the grocery store really, really fast, and you go grab you know, a little, little tiny cart, and you grab you know, what you need, and you're in a hurry. 
and you run up and what are you looking for? You're looking for the what the 12 items or less lane, right? Right. You you want to you want to get in and out <laughs> and you go over to the tw- of course there's that. only there's only one of those <laughs> lanes open at the time, of course, right? It never fails. And you go over there and there's some jackass standing in there with a basket full of shit, right? Am I right? Yeah. And you're like, what the you're like all you dude, do is seriously? Just, yeah, you're just looking at the dude, and you're looking up at the sign. You're looking at the dude. You're looking up at the sign, and you're just giving them the evil eye, right? You're like, what? The, what are you doing, um, right? Um, and now, now, and like I said in lesson two, um, this guy, he, he, although he's a jackass, he's not breaking any laws. I mean, there's no law that says thou shalt not have more than twelve. I mean, the sign just suggests it. Um, but at the end of the day, who's really going to enforce it? Unless maybe the store manager does, but who really does? I've never seen anybody really enforce it. And so now you're just left with this jackass that's got a whole cart. He's not following the rules. Those are social rules. The social rule says that you need to be considerate and only go into that lane when you have 12 items or less, right? That's the social rule. Right. But he's not breaking any laws. Well, folks, guess what? A a more than one-page resume, that could be a two-page, three-page, four-page um, if you have more than one page resume, guess what, folks? You're that guy. You're that jackass. You, seriously, because you're not respecting everyone else that submitted a one page resume and you're not respecting the hiring manager, or the recruiter that's reviewing your resume. You're just not. And when I was uh, reviewing resumes, anytime I got a, a anytime I got a resume with a staple in it, it immediately went into the trash. Immediately. I didn't even look at it. Am I wrong? No. What about you? I did the same thing. That's Absolutely. Like. You're like, oh, it's got a staple. Then yep. I, I don't even care how good this person might be. Don't it's, care. Don't, don't care. Even, doesn't matter. There's too, there's too many more to look through. Yeah. <laughs> because I seriously, I saw that as disrespectful. I saw that as somebody that was, that was, uh, you know, bull, bullying their way into like, look at me. I'm better than everyone else because I've got six page re- yeah. or two page, whatever it is. I'm sorry, folks. Oh, and don't be that sneaky guy or gal, and try to do a one-page that's got text on both sides. That, that doesn't count either. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that, too. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie from Change Your POV. Open up another browser. I'm telling you, you got you to check Eddie out. Listen to his shows. Read his blogs. And check out his – sign up for a seven-day resume. If you're needing help, uh, if you get, especially those of you that are listening, that are getting ready to transition out of the military – Eddie's the guy you need to go to. You got to follow this guy out. He's doing he's doing a lot of great things um, everywhere. Changeyourpov.com. Eddie, any parting words? We're, we're coming down on the time here. I want to want to ask you one more thing. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. What I was going to ask you. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on tonight. Anything or anything you want to tell our listeners or any parting words before we let you go? I think the biggest parting words. Uh, to be honest with you, is, and, and this is hands down, no matter what you do in life, just know this. No one owes you shit, okay? No one owes you anything, one iota, nothing. I don't care how many years you did in the service. I don't care how many awards you got. I don't care how many chevrons you had on your collar. I don't care how many you know men or women served under you when you were in. Um, at the end of the day, when and Bennett would love that term, by the way, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, when you get out and, and you are navigating this, this awesome civilian world, no one is, no one owes you anything. You have to stand on your own merit. You have to stand on your own, uh, tenacity and your own hustle and your own, I've seen too many veterans get out and they just are just standing or almost like on the side, on the curb with their hand out, like, okay. I'm waiting for, you know, life to happen to me. I'm waiting for the jobs to land in my lap. I'm waiting for the money to fall into my bank account. I'm waiting for, you know, all these great and wonderful things to happen to me. Listen, folks, things aren't going to happen to you. You've got to get out there and happen to them, right? You, and and you, you know what? You're, you're going to make mistakes. That's part of the game. Um, but find somebody. Find a, I, I highly recommend, I call them mentors. Maybe that's a, a wrong word for it, but it's somebody a confidant, somebody that you can kind of talk to, lean on, communicate with, um, you know, unload on if that's what it takes. Um, get involved with a mastermind group or or insert yourself somewhere. Um, I used to coach my son's football team. I coached my daughter's soccer team. 
Um, it's just it's just so awesome to get involved with something. Uh, when you get out, you need that because you were part of something very, very big and very meaningful, very purposeful when you're in. Uh, you need to find something to latch on to when you get out, and it doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of different organizations out there. Find something that kind of turns you on and get involved and uh, just know that nobody owes you shit. Love it. Love it. Eddie, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Eddie Lazary from Change Your POV. Simply go to changeyourpov.com. Check him out. And you got to check out this seven-day resume. It's coming out June 1st. I'm pumped and really excited about it. Um, if, if you've been like you know a lot of us, you know, Eddie and myself have been in management positions in corporate America, and we've looked at resumes, and, and some of them are just absolutely horrendous. And Eddie knows his stuff. Uh you got to check this stuff out. Make sure you listen to his podcast, too. He's got a lot of great guests on there, A lot of gives out a lot of great information. Again, follow Eddie, changeyourpov.com. Go to open up another browser. Go to changeyourpov.com. Find Change Your POV on Facebook, Twitter. Check them out. You're going to love it. Folks, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, until next time, I'm Adam. Oh, be, almost forgot. Real quick, big special thanks to Heroes Media Group uh, and thanks to all the network sponsors that are out there, Reality Realty, uh, Mammoth Global Partners, Student Veterans of America. We got Pinups for Patriots. Uh, Kaylin, who we love her to death. She does a lot of our social marketing stuff. We also just signed a deal with Safe Street USA and ADT. Make sure you check that out for their Heroes uh, bonus program that they have out. And you can find all of that stuff by going to heroesmediagroup.com. That's all the time I got for this week, folks. I'm Adam. Thanks for listening to The Decision Hour. Try